Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 60th edition of If You Smell What the Arch Is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and we are back. Ladies and gentlemen, I say this every time I hit a milestone. When I hit week week, week 52, uh, which was a full year, uh, I said it, and I'm going to say it again. It's only been eight weeks, but thank you for helping me to get this far along, because if you would have told me over a year ago that I'd be doing a podcast for 60 weeks straight, I would have laughed in your face and said, no way. No, no, no. I I have that trouble of starting things and not finishing them or seeing them through. This is something that I am definitely seeing through because you, the fans, I thank you, you, the listeners, my friends, my family on Facebook, you guys are there with support. And tonight we have got a lot, and I mean a lot of information to process a lot of different things going on in the wrestling world. So I'm going to tell you now, strap in now, crack open that frosty beverage, and hold on to it tight because it's going to be a bumpy ride. Let's get into our quick hits, ladies and gentlemen. And our first one, the Ric Flair final match finally announced. Who will Ric Flair's opponent be? Well, it's not opponents. It's not opponent. It's opponents. Because Ric Flair will team with his son-in-law, Andrade El Idilo, to take on Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. Apparently, this match came about because Rick has been training with Jay Lethal. And, of course, he's always had somewhat of a friendship with Jeff Jarrett. And now it seems that the storyline going into it is Jarrett and Lethal hate Ric Flair. And they only did this so they can get him in the ring one last time and actually beat the Nature Boy. Now, I'll get into more of this uh, matchup later. But what I will say is is that the storytelling already, the beatdown that they showed in the video of Jarrett and Lethal taking out Ric Flair has been stellar. It's it, You would think that a billion-dollar company like the WWE was promoting this matchup, but it's not. It's Crockett Promotions, which actually hasn't been uh, around in quite some time. So it, it's really great jo- a really great job being done uh, in the filming aspect and the putting things together aspect. And goddamn whoever's writing it, if it's Rick himself or whoever, I do applaud them on the way that they are promoting this matchup. That has been well done. But we'll get into that more a little later on. Uh, Hint, hint, grinds my gears. Uh, Number two, Road Dog says AEW looks like a well-filmed indie show and that Wardlow should not have won the TNT championship. Now, the Road Dog Jesse James has been in countless companies. He debuted in WCW along with his brothers, Brad Armstrong, Steve, and Scott Armstrong, and then came to the WWF as the roadie and the road dog later on, Jesse James singing with my baby tonight. Um, So he's got credibility, and he did some producing and backstage road agent work for the WWF, or WWE, excuse me. He worked for TNA as well. So he does have experience. And for him to say that AEW looks like a well-filmed indie show, He's not wrong sometimes, but I think that's the look that they're going for ultimately, that campy, old-school experience look, and that's the way that they want to be looked at because they are not WWE. Well, at least sometimes they're not trying to be. Uh, They're not ECW. They're not Impact. 
they want to be an alternative. And again, I'm not defending AEW. I know I come off as an AEW fanboy sometimes, but I'm not defending them. But what I am saying is, is that I agree. They do look like a well-filmed indie show. But that's what I think Tony Khan, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes, even though he's not there anymore, Chris Jericho and Adam Page had in their mind when they went into this. Now, as far as him saying Wardlow should not be the TNT champion or won the TNT championship, I agree. Road Dogg said it explicitly by saying the guy won the title in 18 minutes from Scorpio Sky. You want to know the truth? He should not have won the title that quickly. After just beating MJF and only a couple of weeks later, now beating Scorpio Sky to win the title, I agree. If they were going to give him the secondary title, then they should have waited a little bit. They should have had him actually build up to getting that belt, have him win by DQ, have Scorpio Sky run away, and after a month or two of build, then giving him the title. But Scorpio Sky got injured, and unfortunately they needed somebody to pick up the slack of the title. And with Wardlow being as over as he is, he got the belt by default. Now that's not a bad thing, and it's not a good thing, but I'm hoping that Wardlow gets an even more massive push with the TNT Championship, sort of the way Goldberg did with the United States Championship, and that he goes from there. Number three, Matt Jackson injured last week on Dynamite, out for an undetermined amount of time. The injury bug is hitting AEW. First, it was CM Punk. Then it was Brian Danielson. Now it's Matt Jackson. Countless others have been going out with injuries, such as Scorpio Sky. Darby Allen was on the shelf for a couple of weeks before the Battle Royal. It's ridiculous. But these guys are throwing themselves at 180 miles an hour on Wednesday and Friday night. It's getting a bit ridiculous. Now, I will say this. In the argument towards Daniel Bryan, and I've said this before as well, the WWE asked Bryan to have a more relaxed style. He chose not to. He finished up with the WWE and went to AEW because they'd allow him to do what he wanted. And as we've seen, the man's got now a concussion. Kenny Omega... Went so hard with every match he was having, he went out with a leg injury. CM Punk went so crazy during his matches with MJF and his matches for the world title that he injured himself as well. These guys are going way too hard and way too fast. Not every Dynamite has to be a pay-per-view experience. Not every show has to be five stars. Now, look, I have a rating on this show as well. But what I'm saying is, is you don't always have to put on a stellar, incredible matchup better than before when it's on a weekly television show. You can shoot for a 3 or a 3.5 star match. Catch my drift? So for Matt Jackson to have gotten injured, this young man has been putting his body on the line for the last couple of years, week in and week out. They very hardly miss any matches ever. I think this is only the second time Matt Jackson has ever been injured in his career, and he fought through it the last time. So, I wish Matt a speedy recovery. I wish everybody injured on every roster a speedy recovery, and I hope that they tone things down a little bit in AEW so that we can get a better presentation and a more longevity out of the roster. Number three, Triple H to resume position of EVP of Talent Relations. I am very happy to hear that. I heard that Triple H, and I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, was getting back into a more powerful position in the WWE. 
And as we all know, that's mainly because John Laurinaitis is out of a job. So with Triple H moving back into his own position and taking things over, it's going to be good to see what goes on in NXT. It's going to be good to see what happens on the main roster. We may see a bit of a shakeup and a few guys get called back down to NXT. And believe me when I say this, that is not a demotion. NXT has two hours of weekly television for regular NXT. And then NXT level up on the WWE.com. Uh, so they get three hours of TV a week. And they can still mingle with the main roster. So I'm hoping with Triple H going back into this position that it does wonders for the roster and gives guys a chance to finally shine and be on TV and get the positions that they deserve. Congratulations to Triple H. And finally, quick hit number five. Today, Friday, as this is being recorded, Vince McMahon announced his retirement and said that before he turned 77, he is retiring from the World Wrestling Federation, of oh, World Wrestling Entertainment, excuse me, I'm old school, ladies and gentlemen. He is retiring from the WWE, and he leaves in charge co-CEOs Stephanie McMahon and co-CEO Nick Khan. Now, Vince is still the majority shareholder and says he will still be there for the WWE, but he is walking away from handling the day-to-day operations. I wish Vince well on his future endeavors, and I do not mean that in any way, shape, or form as a joke. I hope that Vince enjoys the twilight of his life, enjoys his family. I said it was time for him to go home, and I think this is the best possible time for it to happen. Uh, I think that with Stephanie at the helm and just allowing Nick Khan to help slightly, that it could be good. Of course, with Triple H back in the EVP role, it could add to that as well. But I also hope somewhere down the line that Stephanie and Triple H gain back all of their control and tell Mr. Khan to get to Stephanie. Because I do not like Nick Khan. I do not like what he's done to the WWE. And I hate what he has allowed to happen to this company under the helm of himself and Vince McMahon. But here's the shocker. Quick hit 5B. <laughs> because of Vince stepping down and finally retiring, Brock Lesnar walked out of SmackDown tonight before the taping began and said that if Vince was gone, well, then he was gone too. That is a shocker, ladies and gentlemen. Vince McMahon retiring is, is shock value as it gets, but we all knew it was coming with everything that was going on with all of these women coming forward and stating that Vince was giving them hush money. But Brock Lesnar walking out on WWE can leave a major hole because the SummerSlam match has been being booked as Brock versus Roman for the last time. And we've seen so many other things happen in the last couple of months with Brock. Uh, and there's reports that if Brock does step away and does not want to take part in SummerSlam, that we're getting Goldberg being called back. And that is utter bullshit, in my opinion. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. It doesn't make any sense. Give somebody else on the roster a chance then. Yes, will Roman probably spit them up, chew them up and spit them out? Quite frankly, yes. I, I think it will happen. But at least you evaluate somebody else. And with theory there, with the money in the bank briefcase, you tease and cash in, do what you got to do. But we don't need Goldberg coming back if Lesnar is not on the pay-per-view. Nobody thinks that Goldberg is a suitable replacement for Brock Lesnar. That would be a four-minute match with Brock, with Goldberg probably concussing himself. 
And then where does that leave us? It's ridiculous. So, as you can see, a lot going on with the quick hits this week. Let's go ahead and now jump into our show review. NXT 2.0. Show starts with a recap of Cora Jade's heel turn last week. And we find out that there will be a 20-woman battle royal to crown a new number one contender. And our opening match is Cameron Grimes taking on J.D. McDowell. Very technical battle with both guys showing off some serious skill. Grimes had it won a couple of times, but McDowell kept coming back for more. Joe Gacy is shown watching the match. Grimes got caught up in the ropes, and McDowell hit a snatch suplex for the victory in 14 minutes. Great opening match up here, ladies and gentlemen. Nikita Lyons cuts a promo about tonight's Battle Royal and runs down her opponents. This girl should not be talking. This is followed up by Tiffany Stratton cutting a similar promo and just as bad. Uh, these ladies have been skipping promo class, ladies and gentlemen. It's not good. Cora Jade is out next and about to tell us why she turned on Roxanne last week. She blames the fans and says they paid more attention to Roxanne than they did to her. To be honest, this is a bad promo as well. Cora sounds like my sister bitching about life not being fair. The only noteworthy thing was Cora throwing her half of the tag team titles in the trash. I wonder where they go from here. Are both women's tag team titles now defunct? If they are, that's fine because there aren't enough women's tag teams on the roster to obviously keep the flow of those belts going. Mackenzie then talks to Zion Quinn and finally someone who can actually speak. He interfered last week so he could beat Apollo Crews and make a name for himself. Well, kid, let's see it. That matchup will happen next week. Indy Hartwell talks about the Women's Battle Royal next, and she says you can't trust anyone in this division, and only one woman will be left standing, and that's her. She understood the assignment. Damon Kempton took on Roderick Strong. We go back to the ring, and it's another technical sound matchup. Kemp and Strong go hold for hold and reverse each other as much as possible. These two know each other very well. They've been training together. Tony D shows up on the video wall and shows that his family has attacked Creed Bros. Strong uses the distraction to hit a high knee on Kemp and gets the win in eight minutes. Didn't like the distraction, but good match. Wish they got more time. Backstage pretty deadly and Briggs and Jensen cut promos to show that they're both ready for the tag team title match tonight. This should definitely be good. The Creeds are shown recovering from the beatdown. Roderick Strong shows up to belittle them. He yells at everyone and says they're going to finish what Tony D started. Pretty Deadly then takes on Briggs and Jensen. Briggs and Jensen went right after their opponents, but Pretty Deadly kept jumping out of the ring. When they finally got in, Briggs pulled out a big boot and a clothesline. Jensen went to work with a powerhouse uh, slam, and all four got into the mix of the ring. Pretty Deadly tried to use the tag titles, but Fallon grabbed it. And this allowed Briggs to roll up his opponent and get the win at the 13-minute mark. Your winner and still NXT Tag Team Champions, Briggs and Jensen. I don't know how they won them because I don't watch the NXT UK show on the WWE Network or on Peacock. So I don't know what the hell's going on there. But Briggs and Jensen definitely deserve the push. We see Joe Gacy with the Druids. It's time for them to unmax. They revealed as the grizzled young veterans, completely with new looks and names. This is freaking awesome because if anybody needed this direction and this sudden change, it was them. Can't wait to see what's next for Reed and Fowler, as Joe Gacy calls them, and what Joe Gacy can do for this young tag team. Outside, we see Braun Breaker looking for uh, J.D. McDone, uh, but no luck so far. McKenzie is now with Wesley, and he says he Trick Williams on no. He puts Trick Williams on notice and says they are not done, but next week. 
he will take out Grayson Waller. God, I hope so. I like Wes a lot, but he's just been lost since they fired uh, Nash, and it's it's been ridiculous for this guy. So many ups and downs. They either need to put him in a cruiserweight ma- match, you know, uh, and do what they can with the you know the cruiserweight division with him, or they just need to you know push him to NXT level up or something because he just looks like a wounded dog. Braun comes out to the arena and dresses the NXT universe. He says he respects Cameron Grimes, but says J.D. McDonough now has to pay for what he did to him. J.D. shows up on the big screen, and Braun invites him to the ring. J.D. plans to dissect Breaker and hurt the NXT champion worse than he's ever been hurt before. They continue exchanging pleasantries, and a really good segment comes to an end. We then see footage from this past Friday when Von Wagner attacked Solo Skoy. Wagner says he is just put the street champ on his ass. And apparently, Axiom is next. Mackenzie then speaks with Diamond Mine and the Creeds and uh, Strong uh, make a challenge for an eight-man tag. Um, I wonder if we'll get it, though. You know, lately we've been seeing matches get made backstage, and then we don't get them for like a week or two or at all. So you never know. It might end up just being the Creed Bros taking on uh, Legato del Fantasma again. But that would still be a good match, so here's hoping. Axiom then took on Dante Chen. The entrance for Axiom was great, but the match itself was just okay. Very slow. Kind of wonky, if I'm honest. A lot of kicks and jumps and strikes. Chen looked better than Axiom did, and that's not saying much. Axiom got the win in three minutes with a jumping sidekick, and again, was just okay. Honestly, after that couple-week buildup and after seeing everything, it was just an entrance. He's kind of reminding me of Glacier. You know what I mean? Only Glacier got six months worth of buildup. This was only a couple of weeks. Lash Legend cuts a promo about the Battle Royal, but I barely understood two words. We will hear from Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams in the barbershop next. And I was disappointed. Where was Brutus Beefcake? Decent promo about who's going to challenge Carmelo next and how Trick is going to take care of Wesley once and for all. Giovanni uh, Vinci is then shown outside with Chase U earlier today. And I think I got it. Giovanni is what they were trying to make Cesaro and then failed miserably at. Let's hope they get it right this time. Because it definitely wasn't Cesaro's fault. It was theirs. Uh, Mackenzie then speaks with Toxic Attraction and Mandy doesn't care who wins. Ivy Nile, that secretary girl, and Alba Fire all interrupt. And to be honest, I hope Alba wins because she would definitely get the most out of a win here and a title shot. Joe Gacy offers to help Cameron Grimes backstage, but he's not in the mood. That would be a great partnership, though. We then hear from Tony D, and he speaks to McKenzie, saying that Electra Lopez will win the Battle Royal and that they accept the challenge of Diamond Mine. Now, that's great and well, but remember what I said. We get matches made backstage, guys accept them, and we don't see them get made for weeks on end until we forget about them or they just pop up randomly. So let's stay tuned to that. And finally, it's Battle Royal time. Zoe Starks makes her return as the number 20 entrant and the entire roster chases Cora Jade off after she threw the women's tag titles in the garbage. Good Battle Royal with a lot of quick eliminations and back-and-forth action happening everywhere. We get down to Starks and Tiffany. They have the spot where they're both on the apron and almost get eliminated. Back inside, Tiffany goes for a springboard. Starks reverses it and eliminates Tiffany. During the celebration, Cora Jade comes back because she was not eliminated. But Starks throws her out as quickly as possible. Zoe Starks gets the win at the 13-minute mark and is the new number one contender. Really good main event. 
I have to say, and Zoe Stark's making a return and immediately being thrusted into the women's title picture after being taken out by Toxic Attraction is good long-term storytelling by NXT and the WWE. 51 minutes of in-ring action, but it was solid, and even the promos fit in to tell a good story tonight. A lot of new beginnings, and I cannot wait for next week. I give this week's show a 4.5 out of 5. Very well done. Moving on to AEW Dynamite now. And it's Fighter Fest Week 2, and we go to the ring for what should be a great opener of Brody King taking on Darby Allen. Darby tried to use quickness and craziness, but King caught him midair and slammed him on the outside. King was brutal throughout the match, but that submission by Darby Allen was sickening in the middle of the ring. Brody caught Darby in a sleeper, and Darby passed out, giving King the win in 13 minutes. Just as predicted, great opener. Post-match, Sting comes to Darby's aid, but Malachi Black gets involved and sprays the mist in Sting's face. This brings out Miro, and a stare-down begins. I'd be excited for Miro versus Black, or Sting versus Black, so either way, let's go. Tony Schiavone interviews Cole Carter, a.k.a. the former Dimes of NXT, and he's challenging Ricky Starks for the FTW Heavyweight Championship. Who interrupts is Ricky Starks, along with Powerhouse Hobbs. Says Cole doesn't have a chance, but Cole guarantees victory. I'll be interested to see what happens in that one. Then we go to tag team action as it's the best friends, Chuck Taylor and Trent, uh, who take on John Moxley, the interim uh, AEW World Heavyweight Champion, and Wheeler Yuta. Taylor and Trent tried to go technical, but Yuta and Mox had other plans. This turned into a brawl quick, and even though the best friends kept up, it was too much. Moxley bashed into Trent with every bit of power he had, and Wheeler beat down Chuck with kicks and submissions. Yuta hit an impressive pin on Chuck and got the win for his team in 12 minutes. Very good tag team matchup. No blood, which is a plus, because like I said last week, not every Moxley match has to be a bloodbath. We see a vignette for Grisham and Claudio at uh, Death Before Dishonor. And I'm going to be honest, this should be one hell of a battle for the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight title. Claudio never held it during his ROH days, and Grisham has been one fine champion. Tony is then ready to interview the new tag team champions, Shane Strickland and uh, Keith Lee. The crowd chants that they deserved it, and I believe that they do as well. These two men were kind of not pushed right in the WWE, except for when they were in NXT. When they finally got called to the main roster, they were wasted. So it's good to finally see someone pushing them in a big match way. Um, Lee gives thanks to Swerve and the fans. Lee also says that they are now on the top of the mountain and that they don't look down, so you better step up for a shot. They then get interrupted by Mark Sterling and Tony Nese. Mark wants Kevin Gates, who's there for Lee and Swerve, to sign the position to get Swerve Scott sent out of uh, AEW. Uh, but all this does is end with Gates knocking out Tony Nese and uh, then a cake being pushed into the face of Mark Sterling. A uh, little long of a segment, but Swerve and uh, Lee definitely deserve the TV time. Tony then interviews the Dark Order and Butcher and Blade backstage. But it ends in a beatdown for the Dark Order, and uh, Adam Page comes in to make the rescue. Christian and Luchasaurus then take on the Varsity Blondes. This was another three-minute squash match, and again, just like last week, I am happy about it. Not because I don't like the Blondes. I'm a very big Brian Pillman fan, so his son's tag team 
I'm a fan of as well. But Luchasaurus destroyed the Blondes and got another great push, in my opinion. But post-match, Jungle Boy returns, and Luchasaurus has once again aligned with Jungle Boy. What? So we only got two weeks of Dark Luchasaurus, and that is it? Wasted booking, in my opinion. That should have been Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy battling. Luchasaurus destroying Jungle Boy for weeks on end. And then he finally gets the win to finally get a shot at Christian Cage. Now, you may be saying, but well, wait, we might see that next week. Luchasaurus might turn on Jungle Boy once he's in the arena. And that might happen. But right now, it just seems like wasted booking. The Gun Club are being interviewed and they challenge Max Cassidy to a rap battle. And, oh, goody, a rap battle. That's just what we need on um, AEW Rampage. Uh, oh, joy. But here comes JR into the arena, and business is about to pick up, ladies and gentlemen. Cole Carter then takes on Ricky Starks. Decent back-and-forth match with Cole getting in some good shots. Starks took control and never let it go from there on out. Starks hit his finisher and got the win in six minutes. Really good matchup, and Cole Carter actually impressed me, something he didn't do in NXT. Post-match, though, Ricky uh, Starks grabs the mic and extended another open challenge, and it's answered by Danhausen, and the crowd went crazy. The match is made for next week, and I think I'm interested in this. I'd like to see these two actually go at it because they're two young stars who definitely need to continue to make waves in AEW. Tony then interviews Athena, <coughs> Willow Nightingale, and Chris Statlander. And that is my granddaughter, Winnie, that's coughing in the background. Say hi, Winnie. Hi. <laughs> uh, they say they each say that they're ready for the tonight's tag match, as it will be Jade and Athena taking on uh, Athena and Willow. Um, and Willow is just really, really hyper throughout the rest of the match. So I'm just not, throughout the rest of the interview, I'm just not understanding why she was so damn hyper, in my opinion. Uh, Tony then interviewed FTR in the ring, and Cash talks about how big 2022 has been for them. He says the biggest match has been against the Briscoes, and part two will be even bigger. Dax then tells the story of how hard his daughter fought to close the hole in her heart, and he promises to fight just as hard on Saturday to retain the ROH Tag Team titles. This match should be the show stealer, in my opinion. I cannot wait to see what happens here uh, uh, Ring of Honor, Death Before Dishonor. And I will be covering it next week, just so you guys know. Death Before Dishonor. I'll get into everything we're going to talk about next week on the show. So just stay tuned for that. Uh, Jay Lethal and company then cut another promo about Samoa Joe and the TV title match at Death Before Dishonor. Christopher Daniels interrupts and challenges Lethal to a match Friday on Rampage. Yes, please. I'd love to see that. And we go to Jade and Kira Hogan taking on Athena and Willow Nightingale. Both teams worked well. No botches or problems in this matchup, but Jade and Hogan had the upper hand. Athena hit her double knees, but only got a two. Willow tried to get the win, but Jade got involved and hit a big jaded to end the match and get the win in seven minutes. Tony then interviewed Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm backstage. They once again got interrupted by Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Uh, once again, AEW is getting repetitive with their backstage segments. It's, it's just getting ridiculous. We're going to see this go on until the actual match between Britt and Thunder or the tag match between these four women, and then it'll just keep going and going and going. So it'll be interesting to see what happens from there out. And then it was main event time, ladies and gentlemen. Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston 
This was a war, just like we knew it would be. Kingston attacked with a barbed wire microphone and was trying to make Jericho bleed and does. Jericho took control and they just began to brawl. They put each other through tables and used everything that wasn't nailed down. Sammy Guevara showed up and helped Jericho. We also saw Anna Jay turn heel and join Tay Conta in beating down Ruby Soho. Sammy assisted with the Judas Effect elbow, and Jericho got the win at the 16-minute mark. Incredible main event. Post-match, the fight continues, but Kingston gains control and sends Jericho onto the bed of barbed wire, and the show ends. 57 minutes of in-ring action, and again, solid work. The promos and interviews were done to put over ROH, that's before Dishonor, and the show as a whole was really good. 4.5 out of 5 this week. Amazing. So now on to NWA Power. Show starts by going right to the ring for a women's triple threat match. Uh, we have Max the Impaler, Ella Envy, and Taya Valkyrie. Uh, these three shared the ring really well. First time seeing Max the Impaler and Ella Envy in action, and they didn't disappoint. Taya has been on a tear lately and gathering gold in every promotion she's been. Max and Taya took their turns beating down Envy, but Max took Taya out and eventually hit her finisher on Envy to get the win in seven minutes. Good opener. Post-match, Kyle Davis tried to interview Max, but James Mitchell came out and recruited Max to his table. Gotta wonder where this is going from here, but we will definitely keep an eye on it. Matt Taven and uh, Mike Bennett took on Bestia 666 and Mechawolf. This was a great back-and-forth tag match with a nice mix of styles. Taven and Bennett are uh, an underrated tag team and could be champions in any company, but sometimes their backstage egos get in the way. Bestia and Mechawolf were great tag team champions, but their time at the top ran out. Match ended in a double DQ at the 10-minute mark. That's sad to see a great contest end like this, but I'm sure this feud will continue, and it was done to protect both tag teams. Taryn Terrell and Natalia Markova were interviewed, and Taryn kept trying to speak for Markova, but it was seeming to piss her off. Uh, then Austin Idol and Sion were interviewed next, and Idol said if Sion listened to him more, he'd be the new national champion. Uh, guess I got to go back and see, find out what exactly this means. Uh, in any indication, uh, just seems like managers are having a hard time with their uh, selected employees. Mm -hmm. Jake Dumas then took on Eric Jackson. It was a quick match here, and I'm still left scratching my head uh, about it. Uh, Jackson tried for a sneak attack, and then Dumas reversed it and hit his finisher, and it was over in two minutes. But why? Billy Corgan then spoke to, spoke to Kyle Davis and mentioned his promises to the Cardonas uh, for Matt Cardona giving up the world title. Mike Knox was promised a spot in the finals of the uh, race for the chase, and uh, he intends to keep his promise. Knox versus Murdoch for the title might be good if it happens. Odison and Colby Carino are interviewed next by uh, Mae Valentine. She asked Odison about his TV title match against Tyrus, to which he says he can definitely beat the champion. She then asked Colby about his obsession with Terry Morton. Colby flipped out and walked off. And it was main event time now. Fatal four-way finals for the race to the chase. Great main event with a lot of action. Uh, all around the ring, Knox and Lattimore kept teeing off on one another without anyone getting the upper hand. Aldis and Myers traded holes, but Aldis took control and toyed with Myers. We saw a picture-perfect dropkick from Aldis and that devastating elbow drop from the top. Aldis and Lattimore even teamed up to take out Knox, which was a sight to see. In the end, Knox and uh, Lattimore fought to the outside. Aldis scored the victory over Myers at the 15-minute mark. 
in a very enjoyable main event. Breaking news, though, Mike Nick Aldis is now the number one contender. Well, no, Billy Corgan announced that Nick Aldis will be removed from his NWA World Title match with Trevor Murdoch at NWA 74. Corgan stated he was tired of battling with Aldis's ego and finally had enough. He was placing TV champion Tyrus into the title match with Murdoch, even though people didn't believe in Tyrus. Corgan says he does. This is a major shock after that incredible matchup with Aldis winning. It's a shock that Aldis is being taken out. I'm not sure about what's going on backstage, but obviously there is something there and something that needs to be touched upon. In any indication, though, 34 minutes of in-ring action with a good opener and a great main event and an okay middle to this week's episode. I'll give Power a 3.5 out of 5, but that's mainly because of the non-finish to the tag match and the two-minute match that made no sense. But still a good show. All-around great wrestling here this week. And now it is time for what grinds my gears, ladies and gentlemen. Ric Flair's last match. When this was announced, I was kind of taken aback. Ric Flair, in his retirement match against Shawn Michaels, went out on a golden platter, in my opinion. He was given everything by Shawn. He was used in such a way that was perfectly done for his career. And in my opinion, Ric should have rode off into the sunset. But since then... He has had matches with Rick, with Hulk Hogan around the world during that Hulk Hogan farewell tour. He had a match in NWA, in, uh, excuse me, in Impact Wrestling with Sting. He's been back at the WWE a few times. He has besmirched that matchup with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. Now, I know Shawn came out of retirement in Saudi Arabia and, you know, totally screwed the pooch there with that one, but... In any indication, Ric Flair's last match. I said, the promotion for the match has been fantastic. It's been going on for a couple months. We finally have a match made. They're telling a story. That's great. But when I watch Ric Flair work out for this matchup, when I see his head bruised up because he's trying to blade and make sure he could bleed the right way, when I watch him try to lift weights, when I see him doing all this cardio, and things, it makes me sick. Ric Flair is an elderly gentleman. He should be enjoying his life and sitting back and watching wrestling. Become a manager. You'd still get paid, Rick. But no, your ego is making you do this. Your ego is driving you to get back into the ring. And all that's going to do is get you hurt. Now, I understand that he's going to be in there with three professionals. Andrade, Jay Lethal, and Jeff Jarrett. And I know that they'll be able to take care of him. And I know that they're going to watch out for him. But what I don't trust is that Ric Flair with a pacemaker will not try to do something that he's done before in the past, like the top rope spot or running the ropes or flip-flopping around in the ring, and it might not do damage to him. I don't trust that Rick might not try to blade and hit something the wrong way and end up bleeding out and hurting himself more. I don't trust that Ric Flair is not so crazy and mentally unstable that he doesn't have aspirations of finally dying in the ring to feed his ego. Because let's face it, he's done it all. He's seen it all. He's drinking the best. He's flown in every kind of plane there's ever been flown in. He's lived a life, ladies and gentlemen. Ric Flair is his gimmick. It is what he is, and it is what he says that it is. 
He does not need to be doing this at past 70 years old. It is a shame and it is crazy. I cannot believe this, ladies and gentlemen. And I am sickened to watch Ric Flair do this to himself at this stage in his life. So I cannot, and I repeat, cannot endorse this match in any way. I am not happy about it. I am a huge Ric Flair fan. I am a Ric Flair mark. And it makes me sick to think that he is doing this for whether whatever it is. His ego, one last payday, whatever it is, it's bullshit, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm tired of seeing him run himself through the mill to do this and what we could possibly see as the true farewell to Ric Flair. So, with that being said, I want to thank you for joining me here tonight on If You Smell What The Art Is Cooking. Next week, I will be speaking about Ring of Honor's Death Before Dishonor. I will speak about Ric Flair's final match. I will not, however, talk about the entire card. I will only speak about Ric Flair's final match. Hopefully, he comes out of it and is okay. And I will also speak about WWE SummerSlam. So expect this to come out. This week's uh, show will obviously be out Sunday or Monday. Next week's show will possibly be out Monday or Tuesday. So make sure that you watch and keep an eye out for that one. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, and thank you guys for your support. We're 60 in. Here's to 100 more. Have a great night, ladies and gentlemen. And I'll see you next time on If You Smell What the Arch is.